Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are excited to be joined by Crystal McDonald. Crystal started Talent Activated in 2019, a multi-industry staffing agency. Talent Activated connects companies to diverse and experienced talent in part-time roles with a focus on creating jobs, driving up economic impact for multicultural talent, and fostering excellence in the gig economy. Originally from Houston, Texas, Crystal holds a degree in economics and finance from Dillard University and an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. She and her husband currently live in New Orleans with their three children. And today, we are so excited to have her on our show show and hear her story. So, Crystal, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Drew. Super excited to uh, chat with you. I am as well. Yeah. Yes. So, tell me, how did Talent Activated get started? What's the kind of genesis of the idea? What was going on in your life at the time and, and why this company? The genesis of the idea actually started in 2013 as a technology company. So, it was then called GoToInterview. It was an on-demand video interviewing tool that basically allowed employers to access employees um, and vet them without sacrificing quality. So these were three-minute on-demand videos. An uh, employer could ask, you know, have specific questions. Employees or job candidates would respond to those questions, and then you'd get kind of a quick resume. But it was really focused on the quick service restaurant industry, the high turnover industries. At that time, we were solving a problem that we had as business owners. We were restaurant owners and consistently had turnover. And so we created the technology to make it a little easier on us to access and vet candidates, again, without sacrificing quality. So I think, to be honest with you, we were ahead of our time. Of course, you know, fast forward couple of years, pandemic comes and everything is on video. Um, sure. But that's how we started it. And what I learned early on in those in those startup days uh, was that the technology was something that was interesting and cool to my customers, but what they really wanted um, were the people. And that's still consistent today. So they really want great, high quality folks that they can count on. Um, and so what we ended up doing was moving kind of parlaying this company into a staffing company that kind of blends um, my experience in technology, my experience in recruitment with my my co-founder's experience in experiential marketing. And we kind of jammed that up and created Talent Activated where we staff festivals, events, activations, experiences. Um, and, And we love this kind of the short term space because the world of work is changing so much where people want to be involved and have multiple opportunities to showcase their their skills, their interests. So this is right up our alley and um, it's been really fun. So we've been at this now uh, since 2018. Um, and that's okay. kind of um, how we got started with Talent Activated. Ah, it's super cool. What I love about uh, one thing that you mentioned is something that I've learned myself and I've seen many other founders experience, which is differentiating between the mechanism and the result, right? And so at the beginning, especially if we're excited about the product we created, we've even in the sales process, we're just highlighting the mechanism. Like, look how easy this is. We got this platform. We can do this video. But what you said was so insightful is that what they really care about is just the people. 
the mechanism is just the way to connect them to the people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. In 2018, we received a phone call from a client that said, look, love the tech, but I need 25 people to support on this activation that we have. Is there anything you can do to support us? At that time, you know, we were like, well, that's not really our core business, uh, you know, model, but we said, sure, absolutely. And so that went from 25 people to about 450 people the very next year. And so now that's about the average. We've staffed everything from 750, well, really 900 people to 10 people, um, again, wow. through different activations. We love it. We love the opportunity to connect with people for, for a finite amount of time. Um, and that's what's really kind of created our North Star. So always it's been about well, it's interesting because it started off with solving a problem that we had as an employer. But what we found very quickly was that this was a great opportunity for job seekers to really showcase their skills, showcase their experiences uh, beyond the paper, um, especially in high turnover industries where folks really, you know, they may or may not have a full blown beautifully put together resume that it showcases all that they can do. This was more about personality and gumption. So that's mm. when we started to really kind of really pay attention to the job seeker or the, or the other part of, of the ecosystem. And so we're still doing that now. And that's part of our North star. Our North star is to, you know, put money in people's pockets, but we want, we want that. We want to do that, but we also really want people to see what's possible. And so mm. when people have an opportunity to work with production managers, to work with videographers, photographers, event planners, then they can see what can really be. And so this is mm. like an opportunity for them to be able to experience it in real time in a short, finite period of time, but experience it in the moment. And we've seen people go on to get full-time jobs uh, from these short, you know, three-day, four-day festival activation type experiences. Yeah. Can you describe to me when you, when you say hiring for an activation, what does that mean? So we're staffing events. So if you think about an event, um, a conference or a festival, those, those festivals require people to manage the lines. There are people who are required to, uh, um, you know, check people, check guests and festival goers into mm. the space. Uh, there's lots of digital and technology needs that the festival may have, folks engaging with apps and technology. Uh, there's the production side of it. So literally lighting, moving furniture, um, um, assisting talent, running talent, what they call running talent, or what we call running talent. So people who are guest speakers and are participating with the programming side of things. Uh, so there's, there's staff that actually has to ensure that the experience happens in the way sure. that the brand or the client wanted has, you know, has envisioned for it to uh, be. So that's what we do. So we provide that staff. So that staff um, that we have brand ambassadors, we have production assistants, we have specialists, and then we have leads. And that's kind of, I mean, there's, you know, individuals within each of those front, you know, each of those lanes, but it's about four sure. different big lanes. And that's, that's what we're doing. So that's how we staff an activation or an event. I'm using an event festival activation kind of interchangeably, the word. Gotcha. And so that's the primary focus more than a business looking to hire somebody full-time or part-time uh, throughout the year. It's more of the event, you know, one and done type of, uh, of event. 
It is. It is. Cool. It's interesting, though, during the pandemic, we had to pivot. Um, obviously, people were not uh, having experiences. There were no collection. There was not a collection of, of people coming together to um, enjoy music or enjoy art or you know, you name it. So we had, we did, we pivot, we, we um, pivoted to more of a full-time um, staffing company where we'd work specifically with hospitality uh, mm. businesses to staff their restaurants, hotels, bars, etc. And so that was what, that's kind of the, the way we adjusted during the pandemic. We stayed open, which was really great, but we, we had to adjust our business model and we just leaned on our previous experience to do that. And it was still a need, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm curious about that because you're, like you said, your primary business model was not the only thing affected, but it was one of the biggest things we <laughs> saw in, in the pandemic was live things, you know, <laughs> being shut down. So what was that like even just emotionally for you and the team to have that happen at the core of your business? You know, I think what I appreciate about staffing is that people will always need people. You know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations about AI and robots, but I think at the end of the day, there's always, there will always be a, a need for a sense of humanity and connection with people. Now, how we go about doing it and what, what mechanism net mechanisms we use in order to to connect that'll always continue to evolve sure um but people still had restaurants and restaurants maybe not 25 maybe five were open but people still needed people to run those restaurants so um and they needed good people and they needed people who could um you know inspire in a time when it was really hard to feel and be inspired, create experiences, hospitality experiences that people would enjoy. And so we really leaned on that. And so mm. while it was a quieter time for us, it gave us an opportunity to really reflect on our North Star. So what came out of that was uh, our real core intent to connect people to opportunities that they might not otherwise have. Um, for people to be able to see what they can be by, by seeing us in the work that we're doing and seeing our leadership team and the work that they're doing. Um, and that was inspiring enough. You know, that was, that was, it was sad. It was a sad time. I think for the entire world, it was a difficult time. It was unprecedented. Like we, nobody yeah. knew what was happening, but once we realized that, I don't, you know, we didn't think people were going anywhere. People will always need people. We said, okay, we're going to pivot during this time. And we did. And we, we and, and it was fun. It was, an, it, it was good work. We've now gone back to, you know, our core competency because the world has opened again. Things are happening again, which is great. Yeah. Um, but it it was an opportunity for us to exercise just another skill um, and also sharpen another skill. So we saw it as an opportunity uh, to keep things going and to think about what else, what are, you know, the other lanes, um, of service that we might, might be able to offer to. Yeah. Work. That's super cool. Uh, I mean, again, the businesses that succeeded, it, unless they were just uniquely positioned, which there were definitely some businesses uniquely positioned to, uh, thrive during that, that thing. For the rest of us, we succeeded from the mindset that you just, uh, endorsed, right? Like I, I remember pulling my team together and going, Hey, the only way we can think about this and live is if we see this as forced innovation. Mm -hmm. 
that this is just something forcing us to innovate. If we think about it any other way, we're dead in the water, you know? And so you, you, you innovated, you found where your skills and services were still needed in the world, went and built those connections, I'm sure. And, you know, probably changed the mechanism some, uh, but came back to your core competency. And so what a really cool uh, story of, of resilience and at, you know, being adaptable and those types of things. But it sounds like from what I hear, you still came back to kind of your core purpose that drove you at the beginning. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Um, so, you know, we move as the world moves um, to stay flexible, to stay agile, to um, be creative and to be brave um, and courageous and moving when the world moves, I think is going to be something that we have to continue to do in order to stay relevant. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people and the people business, obviously people have been around since the beginning of time, but we continue to change and we continue to evolve. And so it's important as a, as a staffing company to evolve with um, the changing um, needs of, of, of the people in the world. So Absolutely. Now, from the a business perspective, what I'm curious about, again, we have a lot of entrepreneurs and founders listening that have to solve business problems like you and I do. What's interesting to me about your business is you have two different uh, kind of avatars or markets that you've got to go get at the same time to make this successful. Like you've got to go find who those event organizers are, where, who's doing what and when, get them to buy into you. Then you've also got to go to the job market and find the talent. What is that like? Like what, what, what did you experience in learning how to actually go and build the relationships with the, with the festivals and the events and the keynotes and whatever, and then also go and find the, the work to pair them with. Oh yeah. The old chicken and the egg situation. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we spent a lot of time the last several years really focused on culture and building a community of ambassadors, team members that believe in what we're doing, believe in themselves, believe in representing, um, the company in a way that is sticky and they feel a sense of connection. They feel a sense of this is my talent activated family. And so mm -hmm. when talent activated calls me for an opportunity, I'm coming, I'm going to be there. And so we have a pool now of, 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 of brand ambassadors that we can count on that we reach out to consistently. When we bring new people into the fold, which is often uh, we level set immediately on our values um, the vision for the company, how we expect, what our expectations are for how uh, we show up in the world and how we show up when we're working. Um, and so the way we approach this uh, in terms of culture building is it's beyond this three-day event that you might have with us. It really is about life lessons professionally and personally that we hope will benefit you mm. and that you will take with you going forward. So this is a building block. These are building blocks. This is a step to help you achieve the larger strategy or goal that you might have for yourself. So that's how we mm. see ourselves in the world of, of, of job seekers. So in, in our in our talent pool. Now, what happens on the opposite side of that with, with the employers or the brands that we're working with, that we can guarantee a high quality group of people that they can count on, that will show up on time, that understand 
the requirements of the role because we've taken the time to really train and develop them. Mm. Um, and we, you know, we just, we take it very, we take it seriously. We're not just warm bodies with, that, that have breath in our lungs that can stand and walk and talk. And no, these are real people with real stories. We see them, we, you know, we express that we see them and acknowledge that to both the, to the team members as well as the employer. So, um, that's a connection that we consistently make for both groups. And we've just been able to really build on that organically. So what happens, you know, um, we do a lot of outreach, but we also get a lot of inbound interest because Hmm. generally the team that we deploy is a team that they can count on and will, and will enjoy working with and will create, help to create that magical experience that they want to create for their, you know, their guests or whomever will be, uh, attending their event. So it's been very organic, but, um, it's, it's both, it's both. And, and, um, now that we have like a real consistent understanding of what our core competency is, what our mission and vision, um, are, and, you know, like how we want to show up in the world. And we're able to effectively articulate that to both parties. It's, mm. it's a lot easier to get those two groups growing consistently at, at the same rate. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, if I think about like LinkedIn as a place that someone might be, uh, or ZipRecruiter or something like that is a place where someone might be applying for jobs and stuff. They're not representing ZipRecruiter. They're not representing LinkedIn when they get that job. It is just simply a place at which they went and applied for something. Whereas it sounds like you're building a place that they actually, in a sense, belong to have similar values and and maybe even some training to some degree of expectations and those types of things so that when your client does hire someone, they're representing your brand, which is a Mm -hmm. much different trust and hopefully sounds like quality than just an individual out there that, you know, almost met you through the wanted ads, right? Right. It's a very thoughtful selection process, recruitment and selection and onboarding process that we have. Uh, for our temporary team. I mean, so because they're temporary doesn't mean that they're, that we won't spend the same amount of time and effort that we would spend if we were looking for a a long-term employee. Uh, The effort is still um, quite extensive because again, these are people that we want to bring into the fold, into the community that we can connect with multiple times throughout the year. And so, yeah. And, And to your point, they're representing the the brand, but one of the things that we teach or that we try to coach our team members on is you're representing yourself. Mm. You're, you're again, you're a person, you have a story, you have, you know, a, a, a career path in front of you. What are you going to do about it? Like, how are you going to show up you yourself? And then yes, in the context of the brand talent activated and certainly in the context of the brand of the, of the client, you know, but all of the, it's multi multifaceted and layered in terms of how we want people to kind of see the importance of their role in, in this community. Hmm. I love that. Now, just from your experience of starting and bu- building a successful company over the last few years, as somebody, if someone's in the middle, let's say that they're in the first six months to a year of starting their company today, what do you think are the most you know, important things that they could do or focus on to increase their chances of succeeding? The, the very first thing they can do, and this is going to sound obvious, but I don't think 
than it is in my experience in talking to folks is that you got to get started. Mm. So start, 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 start. We dream and think and plan, uh, strategize for, for months and years. Uh, and, and then we never actually start the business. Yes. So what does it mean to start the business? Literally just go start your LLC. What you can do really is just kind of write out, you know, the, the top three steps or the first three steps to getting your business started. Um, the second thing I would say is that you have to start somewhere where you start doesn't have to be perfect uh, mm. because business evolves anyway. And your customers will tell you which way it's supposed to go up, down, left, or right. Even if you think you know what they need, which is the way I started my first business is I started it because I created a solution that, um, to a problem that I had, which yeah. was interesting because I thought, okay, all of the employers will you know, want this technology. They have the same problem that I have. And my customers told me, we like the tech, but we want the people. Okay. So there goes the, <laughs> there goes a change in the business plan. So you got to start somewhere because the plan is going to change. Um, and talk to people, talk to all sorts of people about the, 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 the problem you're solving or the solution that, that you're, that you're providing or the service or product, but get as many data points as you can. Everybody, everybody is a customer or everybody is a, a case study. Talk, 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 talk to people about, um, you know, what you're offering. And then I think also what people need to really be able to do, they need to be able to effectively articulate their business proposition, what it is and why it matters. Mm. And, and that needs to like be, roll off the tongue. Mm. You need to be able to say that in your sleep. Um, and then, and then, and then finally be able to say that with conviction. Do you really believe um, in what you're doing? Do you really believe in, you know, what you're doing matters and why? Um, and I think that's, that's the most, those are some of the things that I would recommend if you're looking at starting a business in the next six to six months to a year. But, you know, um, you know, just get to the business of doing the business, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could not agree more. That is really, really well said and insightful. I mean, you mentioned the data points, right? Like much of starting business feels like wandering in the dark <laughs> and any data point you get is just some puzzle piece you're previously missing as you thought the customer wanted this. And the problem with waiting is we don't get any data points mm -hmm. or we get imaginary data points where we're just in a whiteboard, imagining the customers like this and imagining they want this versus just having the guts to get out there and take some bumps. And then you get real data points, even, even the no, even someone that says, no, I don't want your product. If you're brave enough to ask why you get some data points, right? 100%. And so I love that bias to action because that's not me. I had to learn that if I was going to be successful. My bias is to think. I want time. Hey, hold on. Let me just take another lap. Let me look at it from more sides. But I realized if I was going to be successful in business, I had to change that to a bias to action, right? That that needed to be more of a knee jerk that, hey, we're brave enough to take action. We're brave enough to ask, make the ask, make the connection, put the product out there, see how it goes, that type of thing. Uh, so I love, love that you're, that you're encouraging us to do that because, uh, you know, it's, it's not for lack of good ideas that people fail. It's usually for lack of execution. It's, it's for lack of getting out there. Um, but that leads me to my next question for you, which is at least from the story I know, you know, I, we only went back to 2013. 
But from 2013 till now, you have been running a business, even though the business has pivoted. And I know how challenging business is. I know that it's not for everybody to run your own thing and that it comes with unique stressors and it comes with unique low points and pressure and things like that. How have you been able to kind of weather those storms? What has allowed you to stay sane and healthy and still excited about the future as a business owner? That's a, you know, you're so right. I mean, years, right? 10 years. It's, it's been a, it's been a, a wild. Probably ride. feel like 20 years is my guess. <laughs> feels like 20 years easily, you know, got married, moved, had children, three of them, you know, um, what I will tell you is that you have to really remember your North star and pay attention to what your North star is. Know your North star, identify it. So why are you doing this in the first place? And if you know why you're doing it, regardless of kind of where the wind blows you, because the wind will blow and the road will wind. But if you stay focused on why you're doing what you're doing, how you get there is a little less relevant. Mm. I mean, just as long as you get there. And so um, part of it is just relinquishing some control. Um, being comfortable in uncomfortable situations, yeah. uncertain situations, um, believing in yourself before any, anybody or any, anyone else. Um, and, you know, knowing that, um, and this is, this is a philosophy that I just believe in. And I don't want to, you know, push on anyone else, but everything happens for a reason and where you are in the moment. I believe is right where you should be, Mm. whatever that looks like. And so lean into that moment, make the best of it, you know, to quote our beloved Beyonce, you know, make lemonade (laughs) out of lemons. Okay. Yes. (laughs) And keep it and keep it, keep it going. So I think that's really important that you just remember your North star. It's going to be hard. This is not for the faint of heart. Know what you're getting into. This is not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, I do think that people who feel called to be business owners or entrepreneurs have a certain je ne sais quoi. They got a little something else, you know, that yeah. keeps them in it. Um, and so I would just encourage people to latch on to that, latch on to that energy, that je ne sais quoi, latch on to that North Star. And that's how you push and persevere through dif- difficult times, which are inevitable. They're going to yeah. happen. And, and as long as you kind of set your framework or your, your, your frame of mind um, early on, understanding that there's going to be pivots, winding That's roads, so good. winds that blow, you know, you're going to be fine. That's really, really good. Uh, you know, I want to come back to, so help me remember if for some reason I lose my train of thought on this next question, but I want to come back to the North Star uh, because you've mentioned it several times. But before I do, you mentioned one of the things that you've had to do to remain uh, an effective leader and an entrepreneur is getting comfortable being uncomfortable, being comfortable in the uncertainty. And that is so much easier sounding than done. And you know that, which is why you're mentioning it, but there's a, um, an Irish, he's, I guess you'd say he's a philosopher, philosopher or kind of spiritual teacher. His name's Peter Rollins. And he had this phrase that I'll never forget where he's his, this is his opinion. 
but he said he believed that humanity's greatest addiction was the addiction to certainty. Mm. And that in his mind, true spiritual maturity or any maturity is actually growing in comfort and uncertainty. Mm. That we have a natural desire. We need to know. We need to know every answer to feel safe. We need to know exactly where things are going and what's what and who's who. But in his mind, real maturity is evidenced by your comfort level and uncertainty, whether it's about big questions or and where you are today. Um, but that is like, I mean, it's like a death you go through because we're hooked on it. Like we need security. We feel like we need all the answers right now to feel okay. So I just wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. That is, I could go so, <laughs> um, I could go on and on <laughs> about, about that. Let me, you know, I have a three-year-old and every day I wake up with a plan and just about every day that plan goes awry yeah. <laughs> uh, because of my three-year-old, you know, um, we have no control over how people, what people, what they're at, what they do, what they think, what they say how they take, how they accept you or not accept. There's just so many things that we just literally do not have control over. Yes. Um, and if we spend a lot of time trying to, trying to figure out how we can control other people, again, what they do, what they say, how they behave, how they accept us or not, we will lose. We will lose a lot of time, <laughs> a lot yeah. of time. And I think what we have to do is really focus on the things that we can control, which is what we do, what we say, what we think how we behave, how we show up in the world. And once you realize that no matter how hard you try, you're going to waste a lot of time trying to control or ensure that there's certainty in everything, you just start to let go a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little And then it, it's a practice. It's a muscle. And it does take muscle memory. And like I said, I have a plan every morning. I think I'm going to my three-year-old will do what I ask her to do on the schedule that I ask her to do, it, right. and it doesn't happen. But every morning I wake up with, with this plan, <laughs> anticipating that it'll go as planned. And, and, you know, it doesn't. Um, and so, but it does take practice. It does take, I think, focusing, even if you start small, really trying to think about the things that you do have control over and just focusing on those two things or three things, whatever it is. I like to think of things in three. I don't know why. Hmm. It's just easier for me. Yeah. But, these three things, these are the things that I'm going to, that I'm going to get done today. These are the things that I'm, you know, that I, I know I can get done when I can get it done and everything else. If it doesn't happen, it's okay. If it does happen, it's great. But you know, you focus on, uh, again, just, you know, two or three things that, you know, you can control and then you go from there. And then again, you just practice that you practice it on a daily, daily basis basis. And, um, I don't think anybody's perfect at it, you know, uh, it takes no, but, a lot of work. Yeah, but you, but again, you, that's a very practical tool that we can use because it's been that way for me. I, I struggled heavily with worry and anxiety and things like that. And yep. I started, you know, just asking questions like what paradigms, what tools, what things are proven to work? And the one of the first things I thought of is I have several friends in recovery and they talked about the serenity prayer, right? Mm -hmm. And the serenity mm -hmm. prayer is all about accepting the things you can't control and taking responsibility for the things you can control. Yeah. 
Yep. And then asking for wisdom to know the difference between the two, like, which is this in this situation, right? Absolutely. And I was like, wow, that sounds beautiful, but it is just a practice. Like, if I do this, I can start to train my brain to be more aware of and concerned with what can I control and be more, I call it hands up on the roller coaster, like hands up on the roller coaster. Like it's going where it's going and you can either grip it and scream or you can put your hands up and enjoy the ride. Right. Absolutely. Um, but in business, I wonder if you experienced this. My wife got tired of hearing this is going to be it. Like mm -hmm. some thing would be like this client. I thought we were going to land or this, thing that I thought was going to take off, I'd be like, this is it, this is it. And you get kind of the hope deferred sickness. You get that like, oh man, I thought it was going to be this and it didn't go that way. Or I thought we were finally out of the woods and then we got set back. And so you have all this disappointment that keeps you from taking action. And like you, I started realizing like, I can't keep pinning my hopes on these external things that I'm not sure are going to come through. But what I can do is say, what are the things I believe will lead to more business? Mm -hmm. What are the things right in front of me that are most important for me to get done today to increase my chances of us landing a client or whatever? And that just helped me get back to work instead of like sitting there and hoping the email comes in that you got that client, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I just noticed on a lot of it's emotional why I see founders quit. Is they're mm -hmm. like, God, I just, there's so many ups and downs and I was riding the highs and riding the lows and and then I just gave up. I got burnt out, you know? Yeah. Look, you have to celebrate every win. There are no small wins. Mm. Also, we have to learn to res respect the process, that this is a journey and a story. We don't, you know, it, it just, it doesn't happen. I think these things, these amazing wins, ability to build businesses, they don't happen overnight. Mm. It, it, it takes time. It takes time and it takes wins and it takes losses. But what I will say is that everything is a win <laughs> and we celebrate all the wins and we encourage our team members to celebrate the wins. So I like to practice gratitude. Um, it's maybe cliche. People talk about it all the time, but it's a tactic that I use personally. I stand in the mirror and I, and I tell myself, what I'm grateful and thankful for mm. from a fa you know, family, business, relation, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to always be about the business. But when you think about the grand scheme of life and what's really important, at least for me, my, my daily struggles in my business, are they're a big deal, but they're not everything, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. that's why I focus on, again, the things that I control, my North Star, the things that are really really important to me, to my core. Uh, one of the other things that I do is I look in the mirror and um, I tell myself, you know, what I know to be true about myself, what I know to be true about my business, what I know to be true about, you know, anything that's happening. And then when I see myself say it to myself, I believe it. <laughs> Yeah. Again, it's a practice. It's a practice. It sounds kind of corny, but I tell I you, like that's that is really kind of the way I'm. I keep myself motivated and focused on on those wins, the the small wins, the big wins, the journey. So good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult nowadays to embrace the idea that things take time when most of our world is overnight delivery, right? Like 
we just get really accustomed to like, hey, we need more toilet paper. I clicked mm-hmm. now and someone's bringing it to my door in an hour or right. whatever it is. And so we're not really surrounded by a lot of examples of things taking time. It, yet business is always going to be that. Like it, 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 it's not going to adapt and become, you know, prime shipping <laughs> where yeah. your business gets started on Monday and on Tuesday, it's profitable and, and achieving your dreams. It's going to be old school. Yeah. It is going to be a curve of learning and of slow growth and of tilling the soil and protecting it and all that kind of stuff, right? I think so. I mean, you know, there's there's companies that raise $100 million and they would say, test, you know, test fast, throw, you know, pivot, change quickly. I still think that there's a time where you've got to figure it out, right? Of course. There's a time where you've got to build your team. There's a, there's, it takes time to build culture. I mean, you look yes. at these, these companies, these fast-growing companies, and it, 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 it still fundamentally we have to it, we have to have the time in order to build real robust businesses. It's so interesting because my father-in-law started Liberty Bank. Liberty Bank is the largest black-owned bank in the country. He wow. started it 50 years ago. 50 years ago, he was he was bank president for 50 years, and he started off just with one client. <laughs> And now, you know, billions of assets under management, but it took Cohen to work every single day, every single day, head down, focused and never giving up. Um, And the energy that he had then is the same energy he has now at nearly 80. But that's my example. Um, My dad is my example. He's been in business, in the hospitality business, literally my entire life. Wow. So. 42 years plus. (laughs) And, you know, it's just been a consistent, this, you know, a model that he found that works and he continued to refine it. He's got great team members and it just takes time and attention. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Some things I just think are, to your point, are old school, you know, it's like you gotta, you gotta stick with it, you know? Yeah. And I love that you brought up the example of the fast growing company because that's who I work with. This podcast is called zero to 5,000. It's the idea of going from nothing to succeeding. But in the 300 plus interviews, not one person that I've interviewed in those fast growing companies would consider themselves arrived, would consider the, would consider whatever they've done easy. Even if they raise a hundred million dollars out of the gate, it's like the beginning of the journey. They've still got to figure out what do we do with the money? How does this be an investment and not a loss? Cause we could blow through that cash immediately there's the ups and downs of we thought this year was going to go this way and then the economy collapsed. And so it's like, even if you think you, you know, you, you arrived early, you know, if you're the leading that company, you're still figuring everything out. Yeah. You have work to do for sure. Absolutely. And they'd be bored. We would be bored for most of us who are entrepreneurs. If it was just sitting there and rinsing, repeating, it's kind of like, we want the adventure, even though we gripe about it and complain about it. We want the challenge to figure out. We want the hill to go climb and, and and that's what we want more than just, you know, we sell a thousand widgets a day and we were sitting on a beach all day, right? Drew, I feel seen. I got goosebumps. I yes. mean, yes, that's the feeling. Yes. Truly. Now I want that I want the money coming in from the what I just told you from my family. <laughs> that's fine. I'll take passive income like that. But for, for sure. me to wake up feeling excited, I need the journey to go on. I need something that's calling me to become something. That's keeping me learning, that is keeping me humble, that is keeping me excited about life. Um, But it's easy to forget that when the thing that you're doing 
is currently kicking you in the teeth yeah. or is currently yeah. making you feel like you can't do this. This is the one challenge you can't do, right? Um, that's the part that's scary. That's the part that's scary, but that's the that's the part that brings me back to that point about respecting the process and celebrating every win, every yeah. little win, everything. So if you can do that, I think you just, you just keep moving forward, you know? Well, I'd love to end with this. You've mentioned uh, many times your North Star. Um, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. Uh, one is, do you feel like you have, it sounds like you obviously have that for the business, which sounds very EOS and traction-esque. I don't know if you've used that in, in your world, but you've used mm -hmm. a lot of the language that I'm familiar with, with North Star mm -hmm. and core competency and all that stuff. Do you see that for your personal life as well? Do you feel like you have like, my own personal North star. And then we as a business have a North star. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because my co-founder and I are actually sisters. Okay. Real life sisters. We grew up in the same house. Wow. <laughs> we, this, we were cut from the same cloth. Okay. Very different, but, um, but best friends. And we were talking about this, I believe two days ago about her North Star, her personal North Star, and my personal North Star, and how that's really, how that really created the North Star for Talent Activated. My North Star is to really focus on um, creating opportunities for people to see what they can be and believe it as a result of being able to see it and experience it. And that's multifaceted. I can go down a laundry list of what that looks like. And then my sister's is to create generational wealth, okay? So if we have an opportunity where we can employ people and they can see people like, like my sister and I doing that work, then we can mash up and have mashed up that North Star to create talent activated. So yeah, the North Star fundamentally starts with me and fundamentally, it's a weather, of, God love it, God bless it, I love talent activated, but if I did not have it, this would still be right. the North Star. Yes. And same for my, same for my co-founder and my sister, same. And it just happens to be that we're in a position where we can create, uh, we've created a business that helps to elevate our personal North stars, which mm -hmm. is also the reason why we can persevere through getting our teeth kicked in when we get the no, when we get the, the pivot, when we get a disappointment or when we get a change, an unexpected change. Uh, just remember the why, remember the North star and that's, again, core to my heart, not just the business. So, yeah, that's really good. And again, we talk about, it's not just business, but life is uncertainty, you know? And, and so we have to ask, like, well, what navigates us? If life is uncertain, like how do we know which way to go, which way is up, which way is forward and any kind of clarity, even if it's just the beginning of clarity. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I think for me, at least that answer has evolved and probably will continue to evolve. It's always in the same core vein, but it's evolved as my life has, but it does help when you're like at a crossroads and you're like, is this a yes or a no? Is it a left or a right? It can help you make that decision a little bit easier. Right. And so for, for the person listening, if they feel like, man, this is the first time I've ever heard about that. I've never even really taken the time beyond a business mission and vision and values or whatever. But for me personally, is there a process or even a few questions they could spend some time today asking themselves to help them start that kind of self-awareness journey of their own North Star? You know, I think one question you can ask yourself is, what really matters to me? Mm. 
I wake up every morning, I get dressed and I walk out the door. What is it all for? Why, why am I doing what I'm doing? What's important to me? What's truly important to me? Not um, having myself uh, completely or having my identity completely associated with my work or my family. What's important to me? That's a process that I went through um, some years ago. I had someone ask me the question, you know, what makes you happy? And I, was, and I mentioned, well, I like to cook. Well, my husband likes to cook. Well, I like to go for walks. Well, my best friend likes to go for walks. I learned that what I like and what I appreciate is actually peace and quiet. And that started, that was the first answer (laughs) to kind of understanding myself and understanding what's important to me. And so going through the process of understanding that and asking yourself that question, I think can be a nice foundation for you to understand, you know, what's important to you. And then you can think about, well, why is it important to you? And then when you think about why it's important to you, then you can think about, well, how can I ensure that what's important to me and why, why it's important to me is actually how I'm living my life yeah. and, wh- and, and what are the, you know, defining and, and identifying the activities that um, make up, you know, those things. So I think just understanding what and why is most important and just sitting with that in a quiet space. Or, or go for a walking, med- I actually meditate um, and, you know, meditate just, you know, I'm not this master meditator, but I do think that quiet time to think and create is really, really important. Um, and however that, whatever that looks like for you, but, you know, set aside some time to actually um, create space to think and ask yeah. those, those questions and, and know to your point earlier that it will evolve that what's important to me maybe today or this decade will look, could look very different 10 years from now. Totally. Cause we're always it, evolving. The, it makes me think of, um, have you ever heard of Rick Rubin? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was listening to an interview with him, uh, founder of Def Jam records and yeah. one of the most famous producers across every genre of music, which is really wild. And in an interview, someone was asking him like, what makes you so successful? And he said, I simply know my taste. And they were like, what does that mean? And he was like, most people don't even know their own taste. They don't truly know what they like, what they don't like. And he said, I became a student of myself a long time ago without judgment that I like this sound, not this sound. This moves me. This doesn't move me. And so he said, artists, trust me that I have a taste that they resonate with and therefore they trust my direction. Because all I'm operating on is, I don't like the sound of that right now. Let's let's tweak it, and mm-hmm. and he he's like, that's all I know. He's like, I I'm not technically engineered, trained, or any of that kind of stuff. I just have a taste that I know, and mm-hmm. I trust, and I let that lead me. And it was as simple as in the interview I was listening to, he asked, uh, "Is there any way we can uh, make the room cooler?" And he asked it very politely, and the interviewer said, "I've never had anybody bold enough." to ask me something as simple as that. And he was like, well, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I wasn't going to be mad if you didn't change the, the air in the room, but I've learned I would rather not be sweating while doing this interview. And so I simply just asked, can we turn the air on, you know? Um, but man, like you mentioned just that question, what matters to me? What do I want? What do I not want? And that sounds so simple until you actually ask yourself that and try to put pen to paper. And then you're like, I don't know. I've got 
12 answers or no answers, or I've got mm -hmm. answers that I'm not sure are even mine. They might be my parents or they might be my, my spouses. Like it is such a daunting thing at first, but then it's really exciting. And so maybe where we end is just that encouragement of like, give yourself six months, start the question now, but be with no rush to feel like today I have to have the answer to this, but start paying attention today. What did I like? Why did it move me? What did I not like? Why did it repel me? You know, what is that telling me about me and, and maybe how I'm uniquely wired and therefore maybe uniquely positioned to serve the world, you know? Um, so this crystal, this has been so fun. It is very clear to see why you have been successful at what you do. You're, you're brilliant. You're talented, but you also carry deep wisdom and a heart for people. So thank you for starting the business you're doing, serving both the vendors as well as all of the, the, the talent out there that's looking for their opportunity. And thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Drew. It was an absolute pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.